what's more likely to be true that i happen to stumble on this whole correct answer and this guy who spent 15 years studying this topic doesn't know what he's talking about if i spent you know 20 minutes on wikipedia and this guy spent 10 years getting a degree at stanford that i'm i am the one who found the correct answer no that's just ridiculous right what's up skeptics today we're going to be talking about experts what are they? What do we need them? Why the heck should we listen to those ivory tower nerds anyway? What do they know? Do your own research. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Reason to Doubt podcast, uh, where we cover all things skeptical skepticism. Uh, I'm Jared, and with me is Jordan. Yep. So. And I'm an expert in everything because I'm an engineer. So you can trust and every word I say. I'm an expert in nothing, which makes me an expert in nothing. Theology? Wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which means nothing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before we dive into the episode proper, as always, we're going to give you the fallacy of the day. Today's fallacy of the day is the ad populum fallacy, also known mm. as the argument from popularity. Yeah. So, this, in this its one most... goes a little bit something like where I cut Jordan off and then he cuts me off and then we, <laughs> yeah. we do it. <laughs> but, yeah. This this argument is, is most basically like a majority of people um, think that something is true. Therefore, something is true. Right. right? And that's the, like the most blatant form, which are usually not going to get because it's pretty obviously nonsense. Yeah. You will get that sometimes, though, if you're talking to um, one example, Christians will say, well, how come there's so many Christians in, in the world? Uh, if that they all can't be right. So they got to be true. Like that's a, right. Yeah. Most, most people in history have thought God is real. Therefore he's real. Yeah. It would be an example of that. Now, um, the reason this is fallacious, the reason it's that it's not a good way to arrive at truth is that the majority opinion of people who are irrelevant to the thing being talked about, that's not a good indicator of something being true. For example, until recently, a majority of people in the U S thought the earth was 10,000 years old. And it's still like in the 40s percent, I think. So it's like a lot of people. It's pretty high. <laughs> right. And they're wrong. Uh, so clearly, the mere fact that a lot of people think something doesn't mean it's true, right? Mm -hmm. But as with many other fallacies, this one is overused and used incorrectly a lot. Uh, there are cases where it may be perfectly, re perfectly reasonable to appeal to the majority opinion on something if there's reason to think that that majority opinion is correct. For example, if I was in a small town somewhere and for some reason, maybe I'm a traveling adventurer and looking for a quest, I want to know who the mayor is. And so I ask around and ask like 100 people and 99 of them say the, oh, the mayor's Joe Smith. He lives over there. And one guy, I don't know, doesn't know. I think it would be reasonable to conclude, okay, the mayor's probably Joe Smith and he probably goes over there because just about everybody in this town thinks that's who it is. Because the people in this town would be in a position to know who their mayor is, right? right? So there's a reason why we should trust this majority opinion. There's something yeah. beyond it, the mere fact that it's uh, it's majority. Right. The knowledge of the subject is relevant to the topic, right? Versus being irrelevant to the topic. So Exactly. They and have a little bit of expertise in the topic, if you would. Speaking of expertise, that leads us to today's topic, experts. Uh, so some background. Recently, I went on Godless Engineers cha channel and we talked about um, 
James, the brother of Jesus, mentioned in Paul and Josephus and what bearing that had on whether or not Jesus existed. Um, it's a good conversation. You should check it out. Um, we'll put the link in the description. But one thing we disagreed on was that I thought it was important to know what the opinion of scholars was on the topic, particularly the consensus opinion. And because of that, Godless Engineer accused me of making an argument from popularity. Um, I'm not going to dive into that whole conversation. You can go listen to it. But I thought that this point was worth addressing because uh, we live in a time when expertise is undervalued. It's under attack in a lot of ways. Yeah. You, you can see that uh, if you weren't living under a rock in the last three years. Uh, yeah, during just the whole, turn on your TV. <laughs> right. The whole COVID pandemic was just nonstop assault on expertise. Like, what do the doctors know? Why should we wear masks? The vaccines aren't safe. The entire anti-vaxxer movement is a rejection of expert opinion. But even outside of current events, you can look at climate change deniers who also reject the vast majority of scholarly opinion or creationists reject the majority opinion in just about every field they touch. Yes. So, I mean, it's important to like to point out before we get into this. There are cases in history where the minority ended up being right on a subject, right? Mm -hmm. So we we don't just want to go into this, you know, just accepting the experts willy-nilly just because they're experts. But we have reasons why we should listen to experts, right? Right. So it's not the case that because a majority of experts say a thing, it is necessarily true because they could be wrong. That is a thing that can happen and has happened in the past, right? So before we go any further, just because a majority of experts say something does not mean it is true. It means they're more probably true. Right. And that's <laughs> the important part. We're talking about probability here. So our goal in all of this and our skeptical mindset and taking time to examine arguments and look at the evidence and all that sort of things is pretty simple. We want to believe things that are true and we want to not believe things that are false. Like we want yeah. to hold true ideas. That's that we want to have an accurate picture of the world. That's our goal, right? Yes. And so if that's our goal, then we should do things that are likely to lead us towards that goal. Yeah. And there's a reason why people get expertise in a subject, right? Because we can't all be experts in everything, except for Jordan. He can be an expert in everything. But most people don't have the time to devote to really dive into being an expert. And I don't think people actually realize how much time it takes to become an expert in a subject. Uh, and a lot of subjects are very specialized. Like, you're not just an expert in ancient Roman history. You're an expert in the turn of the first century ancient Roman history in a very particular area of Palestine, like, you know, you, yeah. you kind of really dive down and you yep. devote an entire undergrad, master's, doctoral pursuit into being an expert in that subject. You'll you'll start broad, like your undergrad, What we're talking about history. So your undergrad would be in history or maybe some ancient languages yeah. or something. Your master's will be more specialized. Your doctorate is even more specialized to the point where, like like you said, it's not Rome because Rome's a big subject. It's like the province of Iberia in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And then even after your postdoctorate, a lot of your work becomes even more specialized where you really focus in on that. Like you, you don't can stop learning at that point or become an expert. You just grow that expertise. 
this is even easier to understand if you look in like the medical world. Like if you go to a nephrologist, for example, somebody who studies the kidneys, they know very little about how your lungs work, right? I mean, they're going to know a little bit because they had basic medical stuff, but they really focus on the nef- the kidneys, right? So Right. And yeah, so while a historian just in general, like a historian who specializes in some area of the Roman Empire is more likely than me to know some other thing about the Roman Empire just because that's like their specialty. They're not a specialist in every aspect of that. And so I think for, like you said, for people who haven't done this, who aren't an expert in any particular topic, it's sometimes underappreciated. This is like the work of a decade or more to truly become an expert in a thing. I have an undergraduate degree in nuclear engineering. I am not an expert in nuclear engineering by any stretch of the imagination. Like I know more about it than your average person you plucked off the street, probably. (laughs) Well, when you talk about it, I feel like you're an expert. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) my knowledge though, right? Yeah. Compared to you, but I like my, they're my professors know, like they, they've forgotten more over the last (laughs) couple of years than I know, you know? Uh, so first of all, it takes a lot of, of work to be an expert. Um, and as a result of this work, they have a deeper knowledge of the topic. They have a better understanding of the background and they just have practice and thinking and talking about this particular thing. And so one byproduct of that is when talking about their area of expertise, an expert is more likely to be right than some non-expert about the same thing. And this may be hard to uh, see in history, but let's talk about something that should be easier. Let's talk about like math. If you had a very complicated math problem and you went to a mathematician and he was going to solve it, and then you grabbed a dude off the sidewalk, who was more likely to come to the right answer with this math problem? Just whole cloth, it's going to be the mathematician, unless you just happen to grab Goodwill hunting off the side of the street or something, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So your average American pulled off the street is going to be less likely to be correct about this very complicated math problem than... The mathematician is. So for that reason, if we're on the outside and Joe's the you know plumber says, here's my answer to this math problem, and it's like a doodle of a stick figure or something, and <laughs> the mathematician's like, here's my rigorous proof of this problem, knowing nothing else other than the fact that this guy's a mathematician and this guy's a plumber, we should go with the mathematician if we know nothing else, right? Right. Uh, because it's more likely to be correct. Yeah, and that's so, an expert. Yeah. So if we go with the expert, in this case, we would be more likely to be true than if we rejected it. Right. Now, here's, a, here's, here's the flippy side, though, right? So what happens when we have experts who maybe come to different conclusions? They disagree, right? So then if we have a room of mathematicians and we give all of them the same uh, problem and we get 50 different proofs and 40 of the proofs are the, that they come to the same solution you're right but we have 10 that are different we still have a group of experts right but the consensus is with this section here we would be still have a better probability of being correct if we went with that consensus right right because a single expert just like a single person can make mistakes they can they're subject to bias they have their own agenda like we're all human right but hopefully by getting a large group of those on average, you know, their kind of biases will sort out. And if nearly all of them come to the same conclusion, 
then odds are that large group is more likely to be correct. Not necessarily. Maybe, maybe they've all made the same mistake, or maybe there's some aspect of the problem they don't understand. And the one guy who did something different. He figured it out. Yeah, he figured it out. That's the sort of thing that'll be hashed out in peer review. But again, as layman, just looking at it, what's more likely to be true that I, uh, who is Joe the plumber in this scenario, that I happen to stumble on the sole correct answer, and this guy who spent 15 years studying this topic doesn't know what he's talking about. If I spent you know 20 minutes on Wikipedia and this guy spent 10 years getting a degree at Stanford, that I'm I am the one who found the correct answer. No, that's just ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's other things too. Like if you just cite a single source or even. So I know we're going to be attacked saying that we're talking specifically like about Richard Carrier as a single source, but let's say there's four sources and in a field of hundreds. If you're just citing those minority opinions, um, there's potential problems with that. You're, you're almost cherry picking information and you have to ignore the other stuff. If not, you need to have very good reasons why you're, you don't go with the consensus, right? Right. So when it comes to a situation where you have disagreements of experts, like we said, the consensus isn't necessarily correct. We have to kind of take a step back. And when we're analyzing this, we have to recognize our own limitations, right? So I, bringing it back to history, I'm not an expert in any sort of history. I can't read ancient Greek. I can't read Coptic. I've never read any of these source materials. There's a lot of history that I'm very ignorant on. Mm-hmm. And so we're often challenged with, well, why don't you just do your own research? Why don't you just let the evidence decide? Because ultimately that's what should decide it, right? It doesn't matter if 99% of scholars think it's right, the evidence is what should decide what's right. And that's true. That is that is true. Like at a foundational level, the evidence is what should, assi- should determine truth. There's a problem with that though, right? Because one, we're not experts. So two, if we're just keep it in history, right? There are certain things that historians do. There's certain criteria that they have in place to determine whether or not something is more historical or less historical. And they have a very rigorous checks and balances that they go through when they're examining evidence. Me as the layman, now I actually have an undergrad in history as well. So I I know a little bit about this, but like the average person doesn't know about some of these criteria and some of the processes. So when you're doing your own research, you're already starting from a, from behind the, the start line. You're, you're already right. way back, right? Um, yeah. So when you're doing your own research, quote unquote, so you're looking at the evidence, but the problem is the evidence doesn't come with a uh, stamp on it telling you what the right conclusion is, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, you've got this manuscript written by some guy 2000 years ago and, you know, copied through the, through the ages. It doesn't tell you what the right uh, interpretation of that is or whether or not he was correct or any of those things. It doesn't tell you whether it accords well with what this other Roman historian said. It doesn't tell you any of that. The evidence doesn't speak for itself. You have to apply your own understanding to the evidence. And that's where the problem's going to come in. When you're a layman who's trying to assess the evidence, there is the risk that you will be incorrect when you assess it, that you will fall into some trap and not know it. And that's yeah. the failure state you should be worried about. We should have uh, intellectual humility and recognize that 
when we're examining something well outside of our expertise, there are going to be things we don't know. For example, suppose that I'm talking to someone and I tell you, Jared, uh, you know, I really think that the best thing we should do is replace all of the cladding in nuclear fuel. Right now there's zircaloy, but we should use stainless steel. The reason is the whole reason that Fukushima happened is because when zircaloy gets superheated, it has a reaction with the water, releases hydrogen and explodes. And we should just use stainless steel because it doesn't have that problem. And there's no downsides whatsoever. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> like, I sounds, have no idea. Sounds great. You have no idea. You don't know that stainless steel is a neutron poison. And if you use stainless steel, your reactor wouldn't work. You'd have to design other things to overcome that poison of the stainless steel. But you don't know that. How could you possibly know that? You're not a nuclear engineer. You're crushing my my whole dreams of like the DeLorean and like the Mr. Fusion tank on the back. But anyways. And so <laughs> that sort of thing can happen when you're reading any paper. Uh, if you're reading a paper, for instance, uh, there I read a paper on a particular interpretation of the Greek and Galatians because that's the kind of nerd... I am. That's what I do with my free time. Uh, and the guy in the paper was talking about the verb tense of the Greek, and he gave the Greek, and like, here's examples of its verb tense and everything. It was like, oh, that sounds very persuasive. Is he right? How the heck should I know? I, I don't know Greek. Like, I just yeah. have to, I, I don't know. Now, the way I'm going to defend against that is I'm going to do what? I'm going to look at other experts who are yeah. also experts in the field and see what they say. Because I don't have that expertise, but they do. And so you can kind of check the back and forth and see, okay, what about the other people who disagree with them? What do they say? And then you can kind of build up this this knowledge of the subject. Right. And just to defend you a little bit, um, and I know we, I would like people to go and watch the Godless Engineer thing, but you were getting some feedback that all you were doing is just reading something that an expert said and agreeing with them because they were an expert which is not what you are doing and not what we per, we are suggesting you do. Right. So what I'm suggesting here is we think probabilistically with humility. So if I know that all else being equal, the consensus of experts is just to pull a number out of the air, 75% likely to be correct. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably underestimating it, but let's just say that's right. Okay. It's 75% likely before we look at anything else. If I just know that the vast and overwhelming majority of experts in a topic think A is correct, that A is 75% likely to be correct. Then if we go through the work of Bayes' theorem, which is the way that we like to think about these sort of probabilities, then I need to have sufficient evidence to overcome that prior, right? I right. need more evidence than I would if, say, it were only 50% likely. Uh, to see how that works in um, in practice, you know that flipping a coin is you know fifty fifty heads, right? Uh, if I told you that I flipped a coin and I got a hundred heads in a row, that's a thing that can happen. It is possible, but it's not very likely, right? It's point five to the hundredth or to the ninety ninth. <coughs> actually, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So in order to believe that. To be certain, you might expect more evidence than if I told you, yeah, I flipped a coin and got heads. That's 50% probability. So yeah, not that big a deal, right? Same thing applies here. If the consensus of, of experts say A is true, 
then A is more likely to be true than if the consensus didn't think that. So we as a layman should expect more evidence. We we need we should want more to convince us against the consensus. Yep. There's another thing we need to be aware of though too. We can fall into the trap of thinking we actually understand something uh, that we don't understand. Now, this is a little bit more difficult in a technical field such as nuclear power, nuclear engineering, or even medical terms. But when it comes to a topic like, I don't know, um, reading biblical scriptures or first century you know, historical documents where you're just reading words and there's, there's not as much technical jargon and you've read a lot of it, you may feel like you have enough or you have a good understanding of it when you actually don't, right? Um, right. Because again, there's a lot of that background that you're going to be missing. You haven't read the, it, if you're just, if you're not an expert, chances are you can't read the original manuscript. So what you're reading is someone else's translation, which is necessarily going to lose some meaning. You don't know, you may not know the context in which this person was writing. You may not know their intended audience. You may not know uh, other writings at the same time. They're talking about the same event that maybe have a different story. There's a lot of factors that could go into it. Yeah, you may not be aware that the person writing that article in preparation for that article or or that piece actually studied and read 50 other people's work on it to get a really good understanding and background before they did their work. A good example of this outside of that kind of realm, though, is young earth creationists. Because um, if you've ever encountered or interacted with young earth creationists, they think they understand simple things like physics, but all you have to do is ask them, please explain to me the second law of thermodynamics. And there's a good chance that they're going to fuck it up when they tell you what it is, right? <laughs> there's an extremely high chance that they're going to mess that up, but boy, are they certain they're right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what gets me about this sort of thing, because you'll have, you have people who consider themselves skeptics who will blast correctly young earth creationists and anti-vaxxers and the rest from like, oh, you know, you're you're not, you don't understand the physics. You know, you think that all these physicists are just like in a conspiracy, you know, why won't you listen to the experts? And then immediately without any self-reflection apparently and say, okay, and now let me tell you why I know better than all of the experts in this other thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah, it, it, it's frustrating. Um, and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> no. So so I think if you take nothing else away from today's episode, what I want you to take away is that if you find yourself occupying a position that is against the consensus, by which I mean like the vast cons- and overwhelming majority, not like it's a debated topic, but like if almost everybody agrees with the thing, if you find yourself in that position, alarm bells should start going off. Because you know you're in an area where you're likely to be wrong. Just from a probability standpoint, right? Nothing right. else. Yeah. Just just in general, if you disagree with the vast majority of experts on a topic, probably because they're probably right, we already talked about why that is, then you're probably wrong. And so alarm bells should start going off. Red flags should start waving. And you should think, okay, have I come to this conclusion because I am actually correct? Or have I come to this conclusion because... There's something I don't know that the experts do. And that should be the mindset you then move forward in. Or you should be asking, what do the experts know that I don't know? <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. then go find out. Go find out. 
Um, you should you should require a lot more evidence to overcome. You should be skeptical of your own capabilities. Right. The other thing I find too on this topic, and and this is relevant, uh, a lot of times what people will do is try to discredit the experts. Well, they're not actually experts because of X reason or Y reason. In this most recent example, um, there was discrediting of their actual motivations um, of their education. Well, they were educated in a you know a Christian school, so they can't be an expert on this topic. Or they their motives aren't pure because they're Christian, so they have to come to a certain predetermined conclusion, um, which is not the case. And we talked about that in our last episode. So go check that out on the, the um, James brother of Jesus episode. But if you find yourself discrediting the expert in almost like an ad hominem attack versus discrediting their evidence with actual evidence, that is a red flag as well. Yeah. It's, it's not that you should be completely naive when it comes to experts, because like we said, they do have biases, right? Yeah. And so you want to, uh, you, you shouldn't just because someone presents themselves as an expert assume that they're correct. So some things to consider is, well, first of all, is this person really an expert? Do they actually have relevant expertise? Like are, they are Dr. So-and-so is their doctorate in a relevant field. Um, and who, why are they doing this? Are they reporting that cigarettes are good for your health and they were paid for four by philip morris okay maybe that's a red flag you know (laughs) so so those sort of things like it's not completely illegitimate to point those things out um but the idea that there's no way that any historian who happens to be christian could be an expert in roman history it, it, it seems that doesn't seem like a relevant thing when it comes to their conclusions uh but there's an easy way to check that right because not every historian in a field is going to have the same biases. You know, some of them are going to come to it with a different background or different religion or whatever. And so we can look to the consensus. Well, okay, maybe there's a subset of scholars that are in it just for theological reasons. And no matter what the evidence is, they're going to come to the conclusion that the Bible says so because the BIBLE said it, right? Maybe that's true. But surely it's not true of everyone. Surely it's not true of the ones who are atheists or Muslims or Jews, right? Right. Like Their biases are completely different. Now, they may right. have some, but you would right. think that they would come to a different conclusion than the ones who, you know. Right. And so if the consensus of scholars, which includes scholars who have different biases, different backgrounds, come from different universities, um, if they also agree, then that should increase our confidence that, okay, these people aren't coming to the conclusion because of their biases, because people with other biases are coming to the same conclusion. It should make us more confident. It's basically like an independent way to test it. Um, so if when it comes to something like James being the brother of Jesus, um, given that the Christian scholars say A, and the Jewish scholars say A, and the Muslim scholars say A, and the atheist scholars say A, and the agnostic scholars say A, if you're thinking B, well, maybe maybe you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe you're right, but maybe. you need to have yeah. more evidence and you have to have good reasons for it, right? And that's the one thing that I want to drive home here is it's important to rely on experts. It's not a fallacy to 
to look at an expert or the field of experts and and stop there. Like you, you would probably have better chance of being right if you did that. But as good skeptics, we don't just say, well, the experts think this, therefore, A, we go, the experts, the experts think this, this is what they say. Let me try to understand their arguments. Let me try to understand the opposing arguments. And then we can use our layman brains to say, okay, I'm not an expert, but given argument A and argument B, you know, argument A makes more sense to me and it aligns with right. the consensus. If you think argument B makes more sense to you, that's okay too. But you also need to realize that one, you're in a minority and two, you're going to need more evidence to support that argument. Right. I'd go so far as to say, like, if the vast majority of scholars say A and I think, well, you know, I'm not sure they both these arguments sound equally compelling then I'm going to go with A. Why? Because I'm a layman. I don't know. And if like, if I'm like, well, they both sound about right to me, I'm going to go with the one that 99% of experts think is right. I'm probably going to be correct. Yeah. You know? There's something else you could do. And this is crazy. Um, you could actually reach out to an expert. I bet you there's a lot of experts out there who are like, I'm just waiting to talk to somebody. Like, you know? that That is an excellent point. And I think a lot of people are kind of intimidated by like cold calling basically but the thing you have to realize about experts is they're an expert in the thing because they love it like nobody spends 10 15 years becoming an expert in first century roman iberia because they hate it right or to get rich (laughs) because nobody's getting rich in that no so i'm not saying that it's always going to work but if you like reach out to a person like hey this thing you've spent your entire life learning about would you talk to me about that I bet a lot of the time they're going to be so excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, especially if you approach it from like a humble position. Like, you know, I read your paper on so-and-so. Like, I I don't understand, you know, why this is the case. Could you, do you have time to explain to me, like kind of put it in layman's terms or? Or is there like a a textbook you'd recommend? Right, Or is there something like somewhere, like some resource that you think would be useful for me to, um, Maybe strengthen your background knowledge right. on it or something, right? Right. Be respectful. Be courteous. They don't owe you anything, but it doesn't hurt to reach out. I just for again, I'm not an expert, but heaven forbid somebody even open the door slightly on nuclear power because I'm barging right in there. I, yeah. I think it's so cool. So I'm going to take any opportunity I can to talk about it. I would be. Yeah, yeah that, I know that's the case. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it in practice. <laughs> um, I. And just to kind of hit this point home, I'm sure everybody has a major university within an hour of them. There are professors there who are experts on subjects who teach. And like, if you just emailed them and say, hey, do you have time to, you know, have a virtual cup of coffee with me or something, right? Can I buy you lunch and you can talk to me about the thing you're an expert in? You'll probably get good results. Yeah. So. So uh, I think that's, about all we need to talk about shorter episode but that's okay uh in summary we are dumb we are dumb laymans we are dumb on most most subjects yes most subjects most people are ignorant about most things that's just a fact of the human condition because i don't know if you knew this guys but human beings collectively know a lot of stuff like a lot (laughs) yeah uh and so You could spend your entire life doing nothing but reading and you will never become an expert in more than a couple things at most, right? And so because of that, we have to specialize and then trust 
in the specialization of our other fellow human beings. Yes. Individual human beings have a propensity towards bias, and they can be wrong. But if you get large numbers of expert human beings, then you can be more confident in their conclusions. And if you find yourself in a position where you are disagreeing with these collective hundreds of years of experience, you could be right. But you should be cautious because you're probably not right. Right? You're probably wrong. And so you should do more work to ensure that you're correct to include buying your local geek lunch so that he can gush <laughs> to you about the thing he's very passionate about. Yeah. As skeptics, we need to realize that we're dumb. Like, it's, it's right. to put it bluntly, we, you know, a good skeptic admits they're wrong and right. wants to find out why. A, a good skeptic is open to the idea that they're wrong. And I think intellectual humility is an, an essential part of being a skeptic because you have to always be open to the idea that you're wrong about just about anything. And you have to be constantly on guard against your own shortcomings, against your own biases, and against your own limitations. That's the only way you're going to arrive at true conclusions. Yeah. Well, I so think that says it all, yeah. Yeah, hope this was useful. Uh, if it was, you know, hit that like button, comment, subscribe, etc. Uh, let us know what you think. If you think this was just yet another argument from authority, then be sure to let us know that as well. Uh, <laughs> You're just saying that you should agree with authority because the authorities say so. Yep. I'm in the pocket of, of big professor or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and check us out next time. But until then, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.